Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. Thank you, thank you. Don't need that. No notes today. We're just going to go for it. I know. (laughs) You look as scared as I do. (laughs) Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to meet together with you. Not just meeting together, but with you. Uh, And meet in safety, but meet under the power of your word. Lord, thank you for your word. It is, in fact, the word of your power as well as the the power of your word. So we just commit these next few minutes to you and ask you to have your way in our lives and change us through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. The stage is falling to bits down here, isn't it? There we go. Health and safety nail sticking up there. Somebody can sort that out afterwards. So, um, by show of hands, just let me know if you've uh, if you've been a Christian uh, at least a year, at least a year. Yeah. Um, what about two or three years? Keep the hands up. Keep the hands up if it's two or three years. And um, just just think about your life in Christ, and particularly, you know, that you you've you've endured and you've you've gone through. I don't want your backsliding years. I want all your your at least average to good years. Okay, who can give me five where you've just you just found something new at least every year? Put, put them up. Put them up high and proud. Who, who can give me ten years? Who's done ten years in in a relationship with Christ? Fifteen. Whoa, look at these. 20. 25. Look at this. 30. 30 years. Right, everybody 30 years plus, stand up and let's let's honor them. Let's let's give them a clap. Stay standing, stay standing. 30 years. Let me tell you, look around, guys. You need, to, you need to invite these people to your house. Say, come around for food or take them out for a coffee and ask them, what is it? What is it that has sustained you over these years? You may sit down. I do that because one of my bugbears in, in life is, oh, one of my heartaches, not bugbears, one of my heartaches in life is seeing people come to Christ yet fall away so quickly or maybe maybe it's a few years but life comes and throws a curveball and they just haven't got that strength and that depth to continue does anybody know what I'm talking about you've probably got friends and family who fit into that category I know that Kate and I um, over the years we've uh, I've been a Christian 30 years and probably the same on and off yourself and we've sat with people, particularly as ministers, we've sat with people, we've done marriage counselling, and, and you know, even in those times, you can see that the people you're counselling, you, can, you, know what the, you know what the problem is on, on, on week one, <laughs> but you have to work your way up to that. But you know that, they, that, that, that there's something fairly fundamental, fairly foundational that is, that is, that is making their life a misery, if I'm going to say it bluntly. It's, it's, not, it's not productive. And, 
And we've seen this over recent years as well with, the, with COVID in that, you know, across the board in churches, we've realized that not just in the networks that we're involved with, that we've seen that pretty much across the board, across denominations as well, I'd say around 25, 30% of people uh, have left the church and not come back. And I read a, a survey um, uh, from, from America as well, and it was exactly the same message. And it doesn't take much for us to reduce our love for Christ, reduce our commitment to church, uh, and just to start to what we would probably commonly in Christian circles call backslide. We just slide back from God. And, and even, even now there are people who you know and I know, and you speak to them, and you've known them years and years and years, and they still seem to be having the same issues. And, and you're like wanting to kind of shake them and say, come on, snap out of it. Do you know this, this, this? And, and we assume sometimes that everybody knows the basics. And, and I don't want this to be kind of like Christianity 101 this morning, because I trust and believe that God is going to speak and wants to speak to every single one of us. But I, I want to speak some basic truth, because foundations are important. If we're going to build, we've said this recently in leadership circles, and maybe it's the church, I can't remember, a lot's been said over Christmas, New Year, but if we're going to build the churches and plant the churches that, that God um, wants us to do, and I know it's his church and he's going to do it. It's not just semantics, but we are co-workers with him. If we're going to do that, then we're going to need deep, deep foundations. Kate and I have this holy dissatisfaction with the fact that we haven't um, planted those churches and they are sustainable and healthy churches yet, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen, and every single, this is the way I look at it, every single day that we haven't planted, I'm like, our foundation, this is another day to dig deep, because the deeper the foundations, the bigger the building, and God's got big dreams for us in this church. So, so the foundations are important, the truths, the biblical truths um, are vital for us, and basically, if I was to summarize the title of my message uh, and what I want to put across to you, I, I, I want to explain what happened at salvation. What happened? Now, I'm not assuming everybody here is in a relationship with God. I'm not assuming that everybody is what the Bible says, born again. But I'm trusting that most of you are. So the title of my message, I think, if I remember rightly, is what happened to me? Is that what's coming up? There. What just happened to me? And maybe, maybe, just maybe, this morning, some of you here or online, within the sound of my voice, you're not quite sure whether you've got a relationship with God, and you're going to have the chance to invite him into your life. You're going to have a chance to be a Christian, but not just a nominal Christian, a full-on Christian. You're going to have the opportunity to do what the Bible says, be born again. We'll talk about that in a second. And what a great opportunity, what a great chance to do that today, not just at the start of the year, but at the start when you get to journey with us over the next six weeks, you get to read this book with daily sections in it, and it's 30 years of my understanding compressed into one book, into six weeks of the basic fundamental truths and realities of what we need to engage 
in an intimate, loving, real relationship with God just like we would another human being. Is anybody up for that? Thank you, Steve. I will preach it. So the foundations are vital. They are important. What happened to you and I, if you're in the room or online, when you got saved? Everything changed when we got saved. Everything. One of the problems with, I would say, some streams of modern-day Christianity and contemporary church is that we tend to sugarcoat Christianity just to get people to make a decision. And although I understand the heart behind that, sometimes it can do more damage than good. When we, when we meet Christ and when we accept him into our lives, the Bible says that we actually become a new creation, a new creature. Now the difficulty is that when you wake up the next morning and you look in the mirror, you still see you, right? But the invisible, immaterial, spiritual part of you just came alive. And it's that which I want us to understand and focus on this morning. Christianity is not just another religion. It's the religion. Jesus had the audacity, because it was the truth, to say that I have come that you may have life and, and have it to the full. But, he's, but, but he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6, I think, or 6, 14. I am the way. He says, I am the truth. I am the life. Christianity is not an add-on to life. It is life itself, but it's a better life, a far better life than the life that you had before. The, the idea that God wants to, 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 to do in your life, of what God wants to do in your life, he, he, you've probably heard the saying, you know, be the best you you can be. And, and I stand by that. We should all be the best versions of us. I want to be the best version of me. But guess what? I can't make myself alone. I can read all the motivational books. I can listen to Tony Robbins every day. I can, I can stick kind of motivational um, words upon the fridge that I look every time I go for a bowl of cereal. But it's not going to make me the best version of me. There's only one person who's going to make me the best version of me, and that's God. And God is everything. See, here we go. This is, this is going to be, I'm not preaching directly, certainly not verbatim, word for word from the book, but you'll, I'll, there's some things in the next seven days that you will read that, I, I, that hopefully you'll remember that I mentioned. And one of the fundamental things, I think it's day two or three, that you read about is the fact that we are three-part beings. And if you've been around at the church, you'll know that I've spoke about this several times, but it's worth just recapping really quickly. You see, we are made in the image of God. Every human being, whether you know Christ or not, you're made in the image of God. And God is three in one. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We too have three parts to our being. We have, we, we have our spirit, we have our soul, and we have our body. Most people say body, soul, spirit, but the Bible says actually it's spirit, soul, 
body. You know the body part, that's the bit you can see. The bit, you know, when I turn sideways, you can see I've had a little bit too much to eat at Christmas. And it's starting to come off. We, we, we recognize each other. We recognize by our physical bodies. But then we have a soul part. It's that immaterial part of you that comprises of your mind, your will, and your emotions. You can, you can hide your emotions to a degree, can't you? And people don't always know what you're thinking. Because that's the immaterial part of you. But there's an even more immaterial part of you. That's your spirit. And when you say yes to Jesus Christ, or when you said yes to Jesus Christ, when you accepted him into your life, he didn't enter your body per se. He, he didn't enter your soul, but he came into your spirit. It's almost like uh, he, he did mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, and he breathed the breath of God into you, and you came alive. But he didn't just do that and then toddle off. He lives inside every single one who has accepted him as Lord and Savior. If that's you this morning, you have God, by his Spirit, living in your spirit. It's like this. Your spirit is a little s, a lowercase. His spirit is the capital S. And, and the capital S comes and lives in your little s. You've got God, the creator of the cosmos, living right now, irrespective of what you're thinking, what you're feeling, where you're taking your body or what you're doing with it. You can't get away from the fact that God is living inside of you. That is good news. That gives me encouragement that no matter how I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, and as a result what I'm doing, that God is always there. Now, he doesn't always like the things that I think and do, but he's always there. Now, the problem is, is that whilst we're still in this body, and this is the whole theses, if you like, of the book, and hopefully you've read the introduction, which I've sent, but if you're here new for the first time, I'll quickly recap that, is that it's called the lost art of being saved because theologically we were saved when we invited Christ into our lives. We're going to be fully saved, and the Bible says we're going to have new bodies, new glorified bodies in a new heaven and a new earth. You read about that on day four, I think, or something. But what about this process in the middle? It's when we're being saved. And that's the whole point. We don't just get saved so that we can go to heaven. No, no, no. Heaven kind of starts now. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is here. It's at hand. It's now. It's, It's here. It's advancing. You don't have to wait anymore. We can engage with this thing called the kingdom. This whole invisible realm to us right now will be become visible and everything will start to make sense. I, I often say it like this. It's like if you were to close your eyes, and you can do that now if you want. You don't have to. You can look at me closing my eyes, which is a bit weird, but we'll go with it. You can close your eyes and you can think, right, okay, God put on me a pair of kind of spiritual goggles or maybe the kind of like those virtu- virtual reality headsets that you can wear, and you see something that is so real, but it's not in your realm of understanding of reality. That is happening right now. There are spiritual forces of good and evil, even around this room. It's a, well, we don't see it because we don't see it. That's why the Bible says, um, 
um, what does it say? It says lots of things. What am I trying to say? It talks about living by faith. We should. We should live by faith. And by faith is not what you see. It's what you don't see. This thing called life that we live as Christians is absolutely... Salvation. And again, I'm using the same phrases, being born again, um, inviting Jesus into your life, becoming a Christian. That, that, the, the, these things that we experience now, the prophets of old would, are jealous of us. In fact, let's, let me, I think I pulled it up on my phone. Uh, is it, I'm thinking the 1 Peter one. Is it 1 Peter? Um, it is Hebrews, but I'm going to go 1 Peter as well. Um, 1 Peter 1, let me just read this to you, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an expressible and glorious joy. Anybody know what Peter's talking about? For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now listen, concerning this salvation... The prophets who spoke, I'm talking about the prophets, hundreds and thousands of years ago. The prophets spoke of the grace that was to come to you. Searched in, they searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that has now been told told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Even the angels in heaven and the prophets of old, they would trade places for you and me right now at the click of a finger. Because we get, we get to live in relationship with God by the Spirit of Christ living inside of us. So you're not fundamentally, see, before Christ, you're known by, you're known by your body and you relate to the world around you by your body. But in, in Christ, God sees, first and foremost, he sees our spirit because that is who we are. You are spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. The problem with a lot of Christians those who fall away, those who don't understand what has happened, that they are still recognizing themselves as in this, in this worldly earth suit, in this body that they navigate around, but, and they see this as a bit of an extra. It's not. You've got to almost reverse that. I was going to get a reversible jacket, but it, it didn't work. But you kind of need to see yourself from the inside out. Does that make sense? And it's all to do, these people who fall away, these people who struggle year after year after year, it's all because, I believe, or let me say, a lot of it is because they don't understand what happened. What happened to me? What just happened to you when you got saved? Um, let, me, let me go to and read you something else which ties in with this. Um, Who's heard of the parable of the sower? Yeah, one of the most famous parables, if not the most. It's certainly the most important because Jesus said, if you don't understand the meaning of this parable, you won't understand any of them. That's a statement, isn't it? That's got you intrigued. 
Uh, let me summarize for time's sake. There's, in this parable, there's the farmer, which is God, and he throws seed into the ground. The seed is the word of God. Okay? It's the scriptures. It's the truth. And, and he throws this seed onto four different types of soil. Actually, it's a parable of the soils rather than the sower. He, and the soil represents, I'm, I'm fast-tracking. The soil represents our hearts. The first seed he throws lands on the path or the hard soil. And it's those who have a hard heart. The second uh, soil is shallow. It has rocks in it. And um, the seed sprouts up and then it withers and dies because it's got no depth. Interesting. So, so Lizzie spoke about that uh, when she was just starting worship about having the depth of God so that we could go deep and wide. Do you remember that? Not a coincidence. Thank you, Lord. And then the third type of soil, what was that? That was the soil, it was good soil, but around when it, when it bore fruit, the, 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 the seed germinated and sprouted. It, well, it, it, in fact, it didn't sprout, it grew, but it had all weeds and thorns around, so it wasn't able to flourish. And then the, the fourth soil was the good soil. And the Bible talks about when that was planted, it, it produced a great return, 30, 60, 90, or 100-fold, whatever it was, a lot. Yet there's something really interesting in those that I only saw the other day, and you have to read the different versions. This parable is in, is in Matthew, uh, Matthew 13, Mark, um, Mark 4, and Luke. I'm trying to show off. I can't remember. Um, but we're going we're gonna to read from, um, we're just going to see something in Matthew 13. In Jesus, Jesus got his disciples together afterwards. And he says, look, he's huddled around, guys. This, this, this is what this means. And, and bearing in mind, if you don't understand this, you won't understand fully any of the other parables. Let me just tell you what he said about these two extremes, the hard soil and the good soil, and it will make the point. He says, listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath, that's the hard soil, the hard heart, represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Understand it. Remember the word, Understand. Then the evil one comes away, snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts, the seed on the rocky soil, uh, blah, 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 in that. So, and then that, so that's, that's the worst case scenario. The word of God comes. The worst thing you can do today is that the word of God comes to you and you don't understand it. You don't accept it. You don't take it in. You just see it as a nice motivational thing and whatever. And, and, or maybe you think it's great, but you don't think on it anymore. It, this, this, what I say to you hasn't got time to go down in the time that I'm speaking. You need to revisit it. So if you're going to make the most of this, and that's why I've done the book, to help you so that you can keep, uh, keep regurgitating, keep meditating on these truths. Because the more you think about these truths, the more you meditate on them, the more you read about them, they'll go deeper, 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 deeper. And that will mean more fruit for you. So it's about a lack of understanding in the first instance and in the extreme. And then on the other extreme, he says, the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. Understanding is important. We've got to contemplate. God's given us all a mind. Even the most basics of minds is an absolute incredible thing that God has given us. And God doesn't make it complicated. 
He doesn't make it complicated. The enemy will try and confuse you, but God says it simply. He says, you must understand this. And I want you, at the start of this six-week series, to understand that God is with you. That God is wanting to live a life eternally with you. Not waiting for heaven, but starting right here, right now. And if you haven't accepted him, I don't want you to rush into a decision. Because that's another thing that is a bugbear of mine, is that... We can dim the lights and play the soft music and we can get people in the right atmosphere. And in a sense, there's nothing wrong with that. But if, if it's all that, then it's... Sometimes I think we make it too easy for people to accept Christ. And why I say that is because we don't tell them the full story. Because when you accept Christ, you're not just saying yes to him. But by saying yes to him, you're saying no to everything else. You're saying no to actually yourself. Because in this, we are spirit, we have a soul, we live in a body. In this body, there is something that the Bible, and again, it's in the book, the Bible says is called the flesh. You might have had it called the sinful nature or the carnal nature. It's a part of you that without Christ, you, you live by, you're ruled by that. It's basically you. It's yourself. It's your selfishness. And that doesn't have to necessarily be an outwardly bad thing. But the fact is that it's you in control. And quite often, if you're like me, that gets you into trouble. But when, you're, when you accept Christ, it's like the Bible says you're facing this way, your flesh. And you're saying no to the flesh and saying yes to the spirit. He's saying, this is what I'm living for. I'm living in Christ, in the Spirit. I've still got the flesh, but the idea is that I turn that way. The word repent can actually mean turn around, do a 180. So you repent from your past, from yourself, and you turn to God. But actually, I think in a more fundamental level, the word repent means to change your mind. You change your mind, and even now, God can speak not just into your spirit, but into your mind, and, and he can, it, 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 if we think about it too much, we lose the impact and effect of it. If you do not know, know Christ in this room, if you're not 100% sure that you're in a relationship with Christ, and that whatever happens, the day you die, you're going to live forever with him. Whether you're here in this room, online, that can be your experience. But if you, if you don't know that, God can tell you. He can make it clear through his spirit into your spirit. And it can register with your mind. And it's like this. This does not make sense, but I know it's right. And that is where you exercise faith. Because if you try and work it out, it's not faith. But if God puts something in your, call it your Noah, in your spirit, in your mind, and he says, you, you were created by me. And we could go into the science of it all, and I could hopefully try and blow your mind with that, and that would be fine, but there's something more deep and more foundational than that, is that God speaks into each and every heart and mind. He says, you are mine. And it's a supernatural thing. It's not something you conjure up, but it's something that I employ you and, and encourage you massively to respond to. Particularly, what a great time at the beginning of this year to set your stall out. And even if you're not sure, even if you're not sure, you can do what I did. 
30 years ago. And I was in a meeting like this, and I had an opportunity to respond. And I responded, and I don't know why I responded, but I kind of know now. But I still wasn't sure, and I convinced myself out of it. But even if you say to God today, for the first time, God, reveal yourself to me. God, I don't know how to pray, but I'm giving it my best shot now, and this is about all I've got. Just reveal yourself to me. That's what I did. And God did in an absolutely miraculous way. He wants you. Not so that you can tick a box on a census saying that you're a Christian. He's not bothered about that. He wants you. He wants your lives. He wants, listen, he wants, he wants all of you. Don't give him a little bit. He's not into that. He wants every single bit of you. Don't worry, you'll mess up. You'll, sometimes you'll turn around and go your, own, your old way. But that, that, that doesn't matter. As long as you know what's happened, as long as you know that you have just become totally new by accepting him. And nothing can change that. Only you can dampen that. Only you can walk kind of away from that. I believe not fully, but only you can do that when you turn to your selfishness once again. Who's done the Freedom in Christ course here? Great course when you become Christians. Yeah, quite a few hands in the room. I love that little analogy they give about the, um, the princess and the frog. Do you remember that? Some of you, uh, it's the old fable, isn't it? The princess, uh, that the prince has been turned into a frog and the princess has to kiss the frog to bring him back to a prince. And, and you, you get kind of that, uh, that they extend the analogy with a bit of creative license and they say, well, just, just picture that, picture that the, the princess has kissed the frog and they, he's become a prince and they live happily ever after. And soon, soon, soon after, they go on a date into a nice restaurant, soft music, candle, wonderful conversation, food, and suddenly a fly comes in right in front, right in front of the prince. And he goes, <laughs> grabs it with his tongue. You remember that? Just grabs it with his tongue. The point of the make is that does that make the prince a frog? No. Because he's a prince. He's just exhibiting frog-like behavior. Here's the good news. When you, well, it's not good news, but it hopefully reassure you, that when you step into Christ and you accept him, you become a new creation. Then when you start catching a few flies, it doesn't make you a sinner. Here's what I'm going to end on as you start to read the first chapter of this week. The Bible says that we are saints. Those who are in Christ are saints. We have the ability to catch flies. We have the ability to sin. But that does not make us, does not label us as sinners. We are saints. You, you look at Paul who, who writes the book of the New Testament, he addresses even the Corinthians, the ghastly Corinthians who are doing some crazy stuff outside of what God will want to do. He says to the you know, church at Ephesus, to the saints, if you're in Christ, you are a saint. Why? Because when God looks at you, he first and foremost looks at your spirit. And what does he see in there? He sees Christ. 
He sees the righteousness of Christ. When you are in Christ, you still have the ability to sin, but you have the life of Christ in you. You are 100% righteous. That's why my wife has got that tattooed on her, to remind her that she is 100% righteous in Christ. She still has the ability to sin. Let's not talk about that. I mean, it happens very, very rarely because there's no... Anyway, but you are... A saint. You can, you can hold your head up high, put your shoulders back and your chest out and know that you are his. That you are saved. That you are saved. That, that the kingdom has arrived in you and you're doing your best until Jesus finally comes back to live a life, to become the best version of you, to glorify him. If you're in Christ... You are saints of the true and living God. That's why you feel so bad when you do catch flies. But the important thing is that you confess it. You repent. You turn away from it. Because what does the enemy want to do? The enemy wants you to feel condemned. Call yourself a Christian? A new creation. And you just did that. That's why you need to understand who you are. And as much as who you are, I'll end on this, it's so important that you realize whose you are. This is not just some game we're playing in Christianity. This is a relationship with a true and living God. And he's not just a God of love. He is a God of love. He is love, the Bible says. But he is an awesome God. He is, the, he is the one who created you, gave you your personality, who formed you even before you were in the womb and knew you then. He's the one who is to be feared. And when the Bible talks about fear, it's not being afraid. It's being in awe of. It's being in utter respect of and glory and honor. And that's whose we are. I don't want to be... I don't want to give my life just to a God who is love. I mean, that would be amazing. But I want to give my life to a God who is in control, who's the commander of angels' armies, who is the one who is mighty in battle. He's the one who comes through for you with power and might. I don't want to make love to sound like it's mamby-pamby. It's not, because the two overlap, and they're part of each other, but they're different as well. Love is powerful. And listen, the men of the world need to understand this. They think this thing called Christianity is a, is a lightweight add-on thing for life, and it's, it's, it's a bit feminine. It's as much masculine as it is feminine. God is awesome. I don't want to mess with the true and living God. There is a part of me that fears catching flies. Not least because it displeases him. So here's the thing, it's a few chapters on, but it's just come to my spirit, is that even though we're saints, even though we're in Christ, even though our eternal salvation has arrived, we're new creatures, we can still displease God by focusing here. To the extent where he's still, we're still in him in terms of, he, no, he's still in us, but we kind of, I don't know whether this is theologically correct, but it makes a point. We step 
outside of his manifest presence, if you like. We were talking about that at the beginning of the service, you know, just sensing God. So we're still saved, but, you know, well, there's times when you feel a bit out of sorts. We're talking about the Christians in the room who've been around a few years, and you know you, you're just out of sorts with God. You know, Ryan, then you, you believe a few lies of the devil, and you feel a bit condemned, and, and that's where God wants you. But no, when we do wrong, we've got to know that we've displeased God. It, it should hurt. It should hurt so that we can get to the point where we confess it. And boy, when you confess your sins ongoing to God, there's nothing better in the world. Because God, like the prodigal son, comes rushing home and the father's there rushing towards him with open arms. And it's like, I, I, this is what I want all along. And I'm, I'm always waiting. When you mess up, I'm always, well, I'm longing for you. Just, just to, all you've got to do is turn around and admit that you've sinned. And just come back into my arms. And you know what? We'll be even stronger. It's like when you break a leg. It rebuilds stronger. And it's like that with God. When we mess up, don't see it. Because you're going to do it. You're, you're going to mess up. I'm mess up. In fact, the more I go on with God and the more I understand him, the more I realize that I'm messing up. I've, I've never confessed to my wife as much recently in the last few months about stuff because I'm realizing that I'm not doing things that please God. Is this helping anyone? I could carry on, but my time's up. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to, just for a moment, just be in awe of you. The almighty God and the all-loving God. The one who sustains us. The one who is living inside each and every one of us. As we journey with you through this material, through your word, through the truths that I've done my best, it's not going to be perfect, but I've done my best to put down on paper, Lord, would you do something incredible, even starting today, as we embark on day one, and we just read those few pages, would you do something so incredible? And Lord, I pray for sustainability that each and every one of us would, would see uh, this six-week journey through and would, Lord, experience something of that that Kate was saying at the beginning of something totally new, uh, a, a, a whole new layer of revelation. I've just got that picture of the... Um, what are those dolls? Are they Russian dolls where they get bigger and bigger or smaller and smaller? When you, and, and, it, and it's like there's, there's a doll that is bigger than the one that you currently are representing. And God's, God's saying he's, he's putting an extra layer on you of revelation, of understanding. And it, and it, and it, might, involve, it might involve some hurt in finding the truth and facing facts about your life, but he's, he's putting something bigger on you to grow into. And I pray that will be the case as we journey together as a church. Holy Spirit, we thank you for living inside of us. For those who have accepted you, you said you would never leave us, never forsake us. We can forsake you, we can walk away from you, but you never, ever leave us. And if you haven't closed your eyes already in prayer, can I just encourage you to do that as I just wrap up and just invite anybody in this room or maybe online 
just to give everybody a bit of privacy, if you could maybe close your eyes, bow your head. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite, and listen, I don't want to make this easy because I want to remind you, if you respond to what I say, you're responding, I want you to respond to me as a witness, if you like, but you're responding to God ultimately. And if you respond, I'm going to ask you in a second to put your hand up if you want to accept Jesus into your life. If you're not sure, just come back next week, read the book, and there'll be another opportunity. But if you just know in your, if you just know without having to think through the issue, if you just know you're feeling stuff in the depth of you that you've never felt before, and you can only attribute it to what's been said, and if what's been said is just registered with you at a knowing level without fully understanding it, but you've understood to the depths of your knowledge of, of what's been said, then I'm going to ask you in one second to put your hand up. But you've got to realize that you're, you're, you're putting your hand up to say yes to God and to say no to yourself. Also that you can be the best version of you you can be so that you give all the glory to God when people see him through your life. But you're committing your life to him. You're asking him to save you from your sins. But you're asking him to be Lord of your life. You're putting him in the driver's seat. It's like an Alton Towers ride. It's a bit scary, but there's nothing better once you're on it. It's amazing. Get in the queue. You, maybe you're in the queue. Push to the front. Maybe you're in the queue right now. Just push to the front. Does anybody want to push the front and just say yes to God right now? Just put your hand up for me. Just keep it up for a few seconds. Yeah, anybody else? Put it up loud and proud if you want to say yes to God today and know you're absolutely sure in his kingdom, in his hand, safe and on a great journey. Anybody else? Okay, you can put your hands down now. Somebody probably just put a book in your hand at the end of the service just to help you. you speak to somebody you came with. Speak to me, Kate, whatever it may be. And uh, we just bless you in the name of Jesus. And we'll be back next week for some more of the book and part two. Kate. Kate.